welcome to For the Record, our bi-weekly show in which we take one recently released album and take a deep dive into it. You can listen to us every other Thursday at 9.30 a.m. on the internet's best radio station, BFF.FM, or subscribe to the podcast at For the Record Podcast, all one word, dot com. This week we're talking about the second album from Indigo D'Souza called Any Shape You Take, and we're going to start by playing the last song on the record, Kill Me. Kill me slowly take me with you down to the garden where magnolias bloom baby darling devil i love you i love you i love you kill me in the morning is a 24-year-old singer-songwriter from North Carolina. And the reason I wanted to play this song first, even though it's the last song on the record, is it was the first single, and they played it on NPR's All Songs Considered, and it really grabbed me. And so I had it on my playlist for a long time. And I think it is the most indicative of what you'll get from this album, whereas the first song is not. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff about this record. And yeah, right off the bat that it's, the singles are towards the end of the record, which is atypical. And I think this single is so, last song first, and it is so warm and funny. And there's darkness here, but it's, it's so managed. And I think her maturity as an artist, right off the bat to have something that's kill me with a but with sung with a smile and with utter affection about some kind of dysfunctional stuff that this relationship is sort of symbolized as the kind of disastrous aftermath of a party but there's a wink in her voice that is irresistible and yeah when you played this for me i thought oh this this is something worth paying attention and then the album came out and we picked it to play for a reason i am really impressed by this first track first record it was self-produced and then she immediately or i guess came out three years ago she got signed to saddle creek which has a roster of really interesting artists and one of the things that she liked about them is that you know apparently she got a lot of offers because her first album got enough attention and she's obviously really young and talented and she struggled with mental health and she really liked that saddle creek appreciated that it's tough being an artist and kind of treated her as a human which was really nice. And talking about the lightness is she's talked about how a lot of her music is about the kind of darkness within her and how she soothes that by enjoying the light while she can. Yeah. Again, we end with this bit of lightness. And 
I think no time like now to jump into that aforementioned first track, which if this is the first thing we'd heard, I don't know if we would have listened to the rest of the record. Well, that's why I said I don't want to start with the song and then have people hear it and then be like, no, I'm yeah, not going to listen to the but rest it's, of the but it also But now, having heard Kill Me, I think we can jump into that track and really get a sense of the range that she can do completely soulless electropop sound with tons of autotune. It's called 17. the 80s drum drum machine i guess it is i assume and then the synths and the weird like synthetic horns that come in in the middle it's just a very strange sounding song yeah i think it is i think there's enough kind of aliveness to the drums at least the bass kind of Mm. those fills feel very maybe they started organic but then there's that i think it's the gated reverb that stereotypical 80s uh, drum sound uh, we actually played the second half of the song because the first half doesn't even have the percussion and it feels so just very, yeah, it's very strange. It's a very off-putting way to start. And especially since you hear those that verse and it's like, oh, there's some autotune in here. And then she cranks it up way higher in the choruses to the point where she's like, what is she trying for here? And then I think that's balanced against, I feel like lyrically it does feel strange and not poppy at all Mm -hmm. and maybe that's kind of the point is to you know it's this like distraction kind of sleight of hand that it's like oh it's this crazy almost too poppy song and then just looking back at being a teenager and what how strongly you could feel back then and you know looking back and just there's a lot of ambiguity here i'm not going to try and get too literal but it's just yeah that repeated refrain in the courses of like this is the way I'm going to bend. It's not a remotely romantic sentiment. And it really feels just sad. And I'm glad that she's 24 and presumably has gotten past this this stage in her life. I think part of it too is that she has, you know, she released her first album. It was self-produced, as you said, that she made with some friends. And she had, her father is a Brazilian bossa nova guitarist and her mom had always encouraged her in music. And I think she got her her first guitar when she was nine and a little keyboard. And she started perform quote unquote performing music on corners and stuff at 11 years old and people were very encouraging and she really saw that as a way to connect with people and so I think she was maybe a little surprised that her first record got as much attention as it did and so this now with her second record on a I don't want to say major label but like well-known label like Saddle Creek she's really trying to come out swinging and show that she can she has real range and she can do a lot of different things 
Yeah. And so I think here from the very synth pop with dark, dark, dark clouds lyrically, we go into another, I'd say pretty dark, but I think a more successful take on kind of pop. And it's on this next track we'll play is called Die Slash Cry. such a great contrast between the kind of loose and warm indie rock guitar and her very high pretty vocals and I think it's a nice companion piece with 17 where that really felt like being in the throes of a bad relationship and here you get a little sense of breathing and she seems to be looking back and you know it seems like she has mixed feelings but at least there's a feeling of of okay i'm out of that and maybe better for it what i thought you were going to say is that her vocals are so distinctive and she has such a range of how she can use them that this one i think goes well with 17 and that it's she's using that kind of high pretty vocal style which i don't know that she does very much on the rest of the record it's much more i, I feel like where her, her strengths are her emotional rawness of her voice and this is more a pretty song yeah it's a little reedy although i think she lets it get i don't mean it that in a yeah, bad way but, yeah exactly but i think it is she lets it be a little bit more kind of restrained and less powerful but then when she really unleashes it in the choruses and really kind of the entire end of the song is just the chorus repeated more and more aggressively with then at a certain point, you kind of don't even notice that it's like, oh, instead of I'd rather die before you cry. And then it's just, I'd rather die before you die. And yeah, she's young enough that I have to assume that's not a reference to White Noise by Don DeLillo, where it was a big thing between the married couple at the center of the story that they were always trying to argue over who would die first. Probably not, but who knows? I mean, it sounds like, she, you know, her, she grew up in this tiny small town and her mom was raising her uh, as kind of this hippie artist in this small town and really doing her best to encourage her, like, to be artsy and interesting and don't just kind of conform to this small town. And so, who knows, maybe her mom was giving her <laughs> really interesting literature to try and uh, get her to be that you know, yeah. exciting artist person. Yeah, her mom is a visual artist who did the art on both of her record, on the cover art on both of her records. And on this one, she said she had described to her mom that she wanted it to be a post-apocalyptic grocery store with the like a mother and then a kid in the cart. And like the people are skeletons. And she said that she, then and if you see it, it seems very um, post-apocalyptic. And then she said then COVID happened and she felt weird about it because it seems it seemed a lot like the beginning when we had all the empty shelves in the grocery stores yeah it's a the art is very cool i love that the two albums have such a distinctive and coherent style and it's simultaneously sort of cute 
and disturbing, mm-hmm. which is a great combo and I think appropriate for these these songs. So I think from this track, we go to another super catchy one. It's called Pretty Pictures. I just can't lie to myself when I'm with you. I'm somewhere else. It doesn't feel like things will get better. And you're the best one that I know. I'm stupid if I let you go. But you deserve to get what you've been giving. It's not what I wanted. But it's what This song is so well placed on the album where we started with the very synth heavy 17 and then the much more kind of traditional rock instrumentation on Die Cry. And here I think is a really perfect synthesis where you get both synths and guitar and then it starts with this very obvious drum machine. But then later in the song, we kind of came in into the second verse chorus and there's much more traditional actual real drums and playing alongside the drum machine. And it sounds perfectly balanced and it's perfect for this chorus which i think the first time we listened through to the record this chorus just really stuck with me it's so simple and pure and sad and pretty yeah and these songs all really benefit by how close mike her vocals are and her voice is really at the forefront of all these songs as it should be because i think that's you know the songs are great but i think her unique vocal style is what really makes them stick with me and in fact this song feels more middle of the road in in terms of her vocal eccentricities and i think that's why it feels more mainstreamy to me like if you if i just heard this randomly i don't know that it would stick with me i like it in the, on the you know in the context of the record but on its own i think it's not that it doesn't, it's not a standout. Yeah, it's catchy, but yeah, it's it's maybe catchy in a way that a bunch of other artists maybe are capable of being catchy. Right. But again, on an album where she's really showing her range and you do get the sense that it's, you know, her first record on a label. And yeah, that's like, hey, I'm going to swing it for the fences, be it crazy synth pop or completely down the middle popular stuff. And it's, I think, yeah, and expressing here, I think, again, of a pair where we had oh, in a bad relationship, after a bad relationship, and here maybe in the end of, but not at, not past the end of yeah, a, she's, a relationship. She said she wanted to write like a more positive breakup song, and that's what this was intended yeah, to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really sweet, the sense of like, yeah, I love you enough to let you find someone who loves you as much as you deserve to be loved. And it's, it's very sweet and sad. So the next song we'll play is called Real Pain. When love is real
we faded out there, but the screams go on for about two more minutes. And what she did was crowdsourced screams from her fans and people sent these recordings. And she she said she put all of them on there. They're all layered together, but they're all included. And it was a way of connecting with her fan community and, you know, making a point about collective pain. Yeah, it's I love that this song structurally it seems like a conventional rock song it's like okay there's first pre-chorus first pre-chorus chorus bridge and then outro but the bridge is this two minute ma- just descent into madness that's anchored by her just chanting the same word over and over again yeah. this persistent just drum beat and it really i just want to call out the drummer on this is credited as jake lenderman Never heard of him. Don't know what else he's yeah, done, the, but it's such he's such a powerful presence on this record because her voice is so strong. But so many of these songs are elevated by either here this incredibly steady beat, and then in other places really intricate drum fills. And I just wanted to call it out. Yeah, it's uh, phenomenal, and it's really you know an emotional journey here of this song that seems starts kind of quiet and gets louder with real pain and real love and then this just attempt to find absolution attempt to find a place where you know your your guilt your guilt can be resolved it's not your fault you can move on from experiencing pain or causing pain she's only 24 this level of grappling with i think really adult challenges is very impressive and it's not the easiest listen but it's very impressive and i love that after relatively poppy opening right here this is the fifth track super gets crazy and loud in a way that's over the top the next track which we won't play but gets also really loud and rocking in a very kind of like 90s almost shoegaze vibe and it's fun just to have this almost like mountain of noise right in the mm-hmm. middle of the record and then we go into a quieter song called late night crawler quieter song the beginning is quieter this is towards the end but this is another song that just has really great percussion in it and i just love those tom like i think those are tom the just the drums that are feel very organic they remind me a lot of the dodos 
And, you know, the other folks credited on this record um, are Alex Farrar, who I tried to look up some information on, but there's apparently a character on the ba- the TV show The Bachelor named Alex Farrar, oh, no. and, and the results were all flooded with that person. Um, Jake Linderman, as you mentioned, on drums and percussion, also synth and guitar, Adam McDaniel, Owen Stone, and then Dexter Webb on additional guitar. And I'm not sure if these are friends of hers or people that Saddle Creek helped her put together, but they're all just, they they just add so much heft to this record. Yeah, well, I know that after growing up in that small town, she did move to Asheville, which was pretty close. I I looked on the map, uh, not that far in distance, but a huge culturally because it went from this small, very conservative town to a more bustling town with a big music scene. So I'm sure she's had access to a bunch of musicians and with her talent, I'm sure attracting the best of them to her. Uh, here she is able to bring out a theatricality of her voice that is recollection of some of the other big artists. Angel Olsen gets so much attention lately as someone who is able to have that intense vibrato to her voice. Mm-hmm. And here Indigo Sousa has this just rich, you know, arena filling sound that is not expected even in the other tracks. I was not expecting this. And it is, I think, structurally maybe the most complicated song where I think there's like two different pre-choruses there's all these different changes in uh, the the drums come in and out the volume comes up and down and the overall effect is to drag you out on a journey and it really you know exactly what the song is about it does seem to be about like hey maybe realizing that you're better than someone else but it's 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 great it's just this real sense of transcendence yeah there's a lot of the production is really good on this record and she's listed as the producer but the executive producer is brad cook who's the producer for bonnie Vare and also waxahachie yeah. and so she had a lot of talent not that she's not talented on her own but she had a lot of talent that really helped fill this record out. no it, it sounds it, it it's the opposite of a sophomore slump album it feels <laughs> like she had so many ideas and got so much stronger had so much range and had a producer who was able to produce all of these different kinds of songs in ways that really brought out the essence of them in a fantastic way and i think from this huge theatrical song we go into a much more i think successful pop song uh, dance party it's called hold you
appreciate as we come into the home stretch on the album, we get these, you know, after I think these songs that are poppy but very shaded with darkness, we get this pure light of this track is just sunshine and acceptance and love. And it's, you know, it's it should be cheesy. And yet I, I can't be anything other than completely charmed by this track. Yeah, and it's, it could be a love song, but it's also the video is like a dance party with her friends. And so it could be appreciating your community. And it's just so positive and so catchy. And I love the baseline. Yeah, yeah. And it, it builds so well where it starts with almost this pure Casio tone mm-hmm artificiality and then you get this funky bass and all these new synths and then the percussion goes nuts and it is yeah it 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 creates the most danceable track ever in a long time and i think she's really earned it after so much complexity here and i i think especially it's great this was the second single and i think that one-two punch of kill me which was so kind of shaded and then this which is such pure light such a great combination and i think it just speaks to yeah her her strengths as an artist a strength as a performer uh she's on tour so if delta hasn't shut anything down by the time she gets to your town yeah, she's think... playing at bottom of the hill on october 11th so, so it would be great if we are able to go I, our first live music show is going to be supposed to be on the 22nd seeing Waxahachie so we will see but yeah it's it's exciting and yeah I can only imagine how much she would light up that room in some ways this song seems like this pure statement of I have darkness in me I have complexity I've seen pain already I have guilt and yet I know how important it is to say to someone you love you're great I want the best for you and it yeah warms the heart yeah I just love the earnestness of you're a good thing I've noticed I've seen it you know it's just so positive yeah, it really in this stretches. I think where the, you know, the the name of the album comes comes in this any shape you take. It's about radical acceptance. And in fact, the last song we'll play was is effectively the title track because it has that lyric. Basically, even if you change, I'm still gonna love you no matter what shape you end up taking. I'm gonna love you, and it's so positive, and it's such a great message. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll go out with that penultimate track. It's called Way Out. It's one of my favorite songs on the record. All of them are so good. You just have to listen to the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, they're no clunkers. Yeah, I'm surprised that this record hasn't been getting more attention, but I guess it hasn't been out that long. Yeah, I think it's starting to. Pitchfork gave it the big hype. I think Pace loved it. I think it, the people are noticing, and <laughs> we're, we're just joining the party. It's a good thing. They've noticed. Yes. <laughs> so we'll go with that penultimate track. Again, it's called Way Out. And we've been listening to Indigo D'Souza and her second record, Any Shape You Take. And you've been listening to For the Record. Thanks so much for listening.
This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.